Welcome to Highlawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We're so glad you've decided to join us, and now we invite you to grab your Bible, if you're able, as we pray that you will be blessed by the preaching of the truth of God's Word today. Happy Easter! Happy Easter. He, is he is risen! And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I've talked to you several times as this is, good grief, this is my fourth Easter with you. It was my fifth year with you. My time flies. But one of the themes that I've hoped that you've gotten over my time here is that we're not called to be a people who are, who are saved to be miserable. We were saved to rejoice. We were saved to be a people of celebration. We were saved to be a people who lift our voice in praise to God because the joy of the Lord is our... And in this day, on this day when we come to recognize that the tomb is empty, that the cross is bare, that death has been defeated, that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be, have been, will continue to be saved, even up to the point where we see our risen Savior face to face. He will not condemn us. He will not throw our past in our faces. He will instead embrace us with his arms and call out, well done. If that doesn't bless you, your blessers busted. That's enough to make any Baptist shout. And as well, well it should. Because we heard all the way back from this journey how Christ was identified as the king over Israel. How his people that he had loved, he had nurtured. Some believed, some did not. The leadership rejected him. The common people embraced him. The downtrodden, the hungry, the persecuted, the worn, the marginalized, the crippled, the people who society didn't want were the people that flocked to him, that shouted, Hosanna, loud Hosanna, praises be to the King of Israel. Savior, save us. And because of all of the wondrous things that he did, including the raising of Lazarus, the people of Jerusalem saw him and said that this man must die. So they carted him off before the royal officials of a pagan nation. And in their zeal for their own power, they rejected the Messiah that God gave them because he wasn't made in their image. They rejected the Son of the living God, not because of His message, but because the fact that they didn't want to lose their power, that they respected the things of this world more than the things of God, that they wanted the prestige, that they wanted the money, that they wanted the influence, that they wanted the power, that they wanted the king who would come with a conquering army, not the king that would come preaching and teaching and correcting. They wanted the nation that would become an empire. They didn't want the cross. The Lamb of God. So when the time came and when they saw the people of, of Jerusalem, the common man flocking to them, they gathered him before a Roman governor 
and shouted to the top of their lungs, let him be crucified. Undergoing the most horrible death imaginable. As I mentioned earlier, the whole reason that we have the name or the word excruciating today in the English language is because of the cross, crux. That tells you what kind of a death he suffered all for you. That along with the print of the nail in his hands, he bore your name. He bore my name. For all of us who were sinful and away from God, he went from Gethsemane to the cross, to the tomb, all for you. And it is that point that we pick up in our sermon this morning. If you would, take out your own copy of God's Word and turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, starting with verse 1. We followed with St. John all the way from the gates of Jerusalem to the empty tomb. And here's his account. And again, one of the things that, that really takes me by surprise the more often I read it, is that John seems to take it for granted that you know your Bible. John takes it for granted that you've already read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he's just adding his own little bits to things. It's almost like he was a preacher who was preaching out of one of the books, and he kept adding so much stuff to their account, he was like, I might as well write my own. And I'm glad he did, because the Holy Spirit breathed through him an amazing account that fills in a lot of blanks and that helps to encourage us with so many different things where the others talk about the suffering servant, where others talk about the Jewish Messiah. This book talks about the man who was God. As we pick up together in verse 1, if you're there, say amen. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from its entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, presumably this is John himself, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they could have put him. Now, we've read this so many times that we don't really understand what the situation is. Didn't they know? Didn't they hear him? Didn't they, didn't they understand, as he was expounding from the, from the scriptures, that the Messiah must die and must be in the tomb? But he promised that on the third day he would what? He would rise. Didn't they know this? Why are they troubled? Well, as it turns out, people at that moment, when they were in that point in time, when they had died, they tended to stay dead. So this was new to them. Even with the resurrection of Lazarus, this was something that was brand new. So what were they were afraid of? First of all, Jesus was buried in a rich man's tomb, which means that they were afraid of people sneaking in, thinking that Jesus himself was rich, and wanting to take away whatever treasures were in there, including his own body. Why? Because he was a popular rabbi. He was a man of the people who ushered in thousands with him when he entered Jerusalem the first time. This was... This was a relic worth a lot of money to the right person. This is what was going through Mary's mind. Someone has robbed the grave of my Lord. Or maybe it was the Roman officials. Maybe it was the Sanhedrin, the people of the Jewish faith that wanted to snatch him up, to get, the, to get him away from us so we couldn't honor him. Maybe they wanted to abuse him after death. All these things going through this precious lady's mind. All the what-ifs. 
They have taken our Lord. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And he bent over and looked in the, at the strips of linen laying there, but he did not go in. Remember, he is a Jewish person, meaning that you don't go into the place of the dead for the fear of, of defiling yourself. Peter, however, had no such qualms. Simon Peter came along behind him, and presumably after he caught his breath, he went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen laying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, the cloth that was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside and saw and believed. They still did not understand from the Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, this is interesting. They knew that He was going to. They knew that He said that He, had going to, he was going to. But what did that mean for us? The day in the Jewish calendar that Resurrection Sunday falls on. First of all, Easter is not a Christian word. Easter is not a Jewish word. First fruits is a Jewish word. It's the feast day that happens the day, the first day of the week after, uh, excuse me, after Passover. And in their mind, that was when the land of Israel came back to life. This was when they entered the land. This is when the, the manna had stopped back after the first Passover. This was when they started eating off of the land. This is when it started producing again. This is when the people of God saw the land bloom and come back to life. Do you see how it connects? So when they went to the empty tomb, as the sacrificial smoke was hovering over the temple, they see the stone was rolled away. They see the face covering off folded by itself. The symbol that something had been completed. They see the, the mummified wrappings off to themselves. Then they got it. Then it started to sink in. What does that teach us, Christian? The disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Now as you're reading through your Bible, and I hope you're still journeying with us as a church as we're reading the Bible through a year, I want you to, when you get into this reading, I want you to notice that spiritual scales have covered the eyes of virtually everybody that knew Jesus. They see Him and they never recognize Him until something calls their attention to who He is. There's some that speculate because in the Old Testament it was predicted that he would be through such an excruciating death that he was unrecognizable as a man. They had plucked his beard. They had hammered his hands into a piece of wood. They had tortured him. They had beat him. All this stuff. But there's also the fact that he had something still to teach them. 
She turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not recognize that it was Jesus. She asked, uh, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? And thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. All it took was the sound of her own name. They know my voice. I know each and every one of them by name. The God who created every planet that orbits every star in this universe. The God who is so omniscient that he maintains physics as we know it. That holds the planets, holds the sky in its place. That says to the sea, this far and no farther. That same God who has all that knowledge, all that wisdom, such that he was able to calculate what it would take to bring you to this very place to receive the comfort of the gospel. That same God knows not only the number of hairs on your head, but so intimately does he know you that he calls you by name. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, or more literally, do not, do not cling to me, is what he's actually saying. So chances are good that she had fallen on her, on, her, on her hands and knees, and then realizing who it was, grabbed him and put him in some kind of a bear hug. Don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Christian, Know this, death has been defeated. You have no fear of the grave. You have no reason to fear hell, to fear judgment, to fear condemnation. You have no, the enemy has no hold on you for anything that you have done in the past, for any sin that you have ever committed. It was paid once and for all. The king who came in humble estate, being born and placed in a, in, a, in a trough, in a cave in Bethlehem, is now seated in a throne at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. The same Christ who spent three days in a tomb as a reminder of the fact that he was dead, he has rose as the first fruits of the grave, Paul tells us. So as he has risen, as he has defeated death, as he has overcome sin, as he has paid it all for you, you have been made into resurrection. You will be the beneficiary of everlasting life. You have nothing to fear. You have no shame upon you. You have been released. Your debt has been paid. Of all the people who have caused to celebrate, Christians rejoice. Death has been defeated. The grave has been and will be broken open again. Rejoice and be glad. Not just this Easter, but every passing Lord's Day. Remember what it represents. The first day of the week. The newness of life. 
promise of life everlasting. Just as He is, so shall we also be. Verse 18. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that He had said these things to her. And on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now I want you to imagine the scene from their perspective for a second. They're huddled together in that place that they had the Last Supper. They, are, they have the door locked and barred because they're afraid that any second the temple guard is going to come. The master's body has been stolen. Chances are good they think we're the ones that did it. So the police, the Roman centurions, whoever could be their enemy, they, had, they were suspecting were their enemy. See, they were still thinking with earthly thoughts. They were still concentrating in the old because they had not yet received the Holy Spirit of God. They were still thinking in fear instead of a faith. And then all of a sudden, as they were cowering and crouching, as many of them were standing there disbelieving what Mary had said, all of a sudden, the Savior appears. Now again, doors barred and locked. Guys are cowering in fear. And then all of a sudden, there He is! Out of nowhere, the Savior is there. The body that they saw taken down from Calvary's mount has been restored. And the Christ that they loved is in their midst again. Chances are good. They received him with quite a bit of fear. Chances are good a lot of them panicked. Nevertheless, Christ standing in their midst said, Peace, peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I want to remind you of something else that's portrayed in Luke's gospel. Another resurrection account where the people who were walking with him didn't know who they were walking with. On the road to Emmaus, there were two of Jesus' disciples that were walking, trying to get away from Jerusalem, probably for the same reason here. They were afraid of what the Jewish authorities would would do to them. So they were on the road, and all of a sudden they encountered this person who they identify as a stranger. And the stranger asked them, why are you so downcast? And one of them says, have you been living under a rock? What's wrong with you, man? And they tell him about Jesus, the person they hoped was the Messiah. But he was now dead. And Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. Do you not know the scriptures? Do you not know that the Christ must die? But he, will be, but he will be risen again. And then he proceeds to go with them on a seven-mile Bible study. Until finally they're gathered around the table. It, it's their home or at least the place that they're renting. And who is the person that blesses the meal they're having together? Jesus himself. And when is it that they recognize him? When he takes the bread and lifts it up. So what did they see? The nail-scarred hands. The only man-made thing that will be in heaven when we arrive. He showed them his hands inside. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw him. 
Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Foretaste of what would come on Pentecost. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So the question is, who are we in this picture? Are we cowering in doubt? Are we the people who hear the news and don't believe? Are we the people who build a fortress around ourselves because the world has gone cold to the things of God and to His church? Are we cowering in fear, afraid that we have lost the victory promised to us by a holy God? Are we the person who, even though we're in the pew right now, don't believe because it sounds too fantastic, it sounds too miraculous? Even though we have the benefit of all these witnesses, even though we read from the text of the apostles, from Paul himself, 5,000 witnesses that were still alive in Jerusalem at the time of Paul's writing. If you don't believe me, check with any of them. Go back to the promised land, ask them yourself. Even though we have the benefit of all this time, are we still the person that says, unless I put my finger in his hand, I will not believe? Or are we the person that rejoices when we see the risen Christ? Are we the person who like the Baptists of old shook off the legalism and claimed the love, who shook off the condemnation and embraced the grace, who became a people not of, of misery but a people of celebration. Who are we? And if you've ever claimed the title Disciple of Christ, hear me brothers and sisters, if you've ever claimed the title Disciple of Christ, write this down, part of what you are commissioned to do as a disciple is to go into the world and make disciples. The fruit of a Christian is what? More Christians. No matter who we are, no matter what ministry we have in the local church, because everybody who's a part of a local church is a minister in that church. There's no room for pew warmers. Anyone who has called upon the name of the Lord is not saved just from something, they are saved to something. You've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. You've been equipped with spiritual gifts. You are given a ministry. You are given a spiritual calling. So no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you have a testimony that your life has built up over the course of the years. You have a story to tell, something that writes you in the pages of the gospel. You are a living witness for Christ. And He has commanded all who are the beneficiaries of His grace to go tell, make disciples, and baptize them. That's our job. So stop cowering behind the walls of the church. Stop cowering behind the walls of your living room. Stop cowering behind the TV set waiting to hear what the next disaster is going to be. Pick up the victory of Christ. Walk in the peace of mind that passes all understanding. Hold to the joy that is within your hearts. Let it strengthen you and go in the conviction that God is risen. He is risen indeed. And He calls all who are accepting His offer of grace to the work of building the kingdom here 
in spite of diseases, in spite of drugs, in spite of fallen neighborhoods, in spite of poverty, in spite of inflation, in spite of any challenge that the enemy puts in our way, you have a victory that all you have to do is claim and live in it. Be the person that you have been created to be, the person you were redeemed to become. Be the minister of grace. That is the challenge of Easter morning. We know we have been redeemed. Live in the joy. Do the work together. Be a family under Him, bought by His blood, adopted into sonship, heirs of the very throne of this universe. The victory is yours. Live in it always. No matter the challenge that comes, claim the victory that was purchased for you. And now here comes Thomas. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus had come. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And what was his reaction? He said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will what? How many people do we know like that? How many people who were formerly in church do we know like that? Show me him. Personally, show me miracles. Your story isn't good enough. I don't care about what was written in an old dusty book. Show me the marks in his hands. Otherwise, I will not believe. Now, the crazy thing about that is God shows up. The crazy thing about that is God shows up. Even for those of us that have fallen away at some point in time in our lives, how many of us have done that? How many of us were were Christians brought up in church at one point in time and then something happened and we slid away from it? Almost everybody here. At least everybody that's willing and courageous enough to admit it. (laughs) Hey, that's the job. Uh, and they know where I live, it's okay. When we come to that point, God does not throw away His children. And aren't you glad that He doesn't? At the times when it matters most, even when we step away from Him, as the perfect Father, He comes running back to us. A lot of the times it's not a very pleasant experience. But I'll tell you something that I've found true over the years. God does not forsake His children. Sometimes in our moments of desolation, He reminds us that He's there. Sometimes it takes reaching the bottom of trying to do it on our own for us to realize that we need Him and we come calling back. And just as the prodigal son returns after going straight to the bottom, wasting away his entire inheritance... He comes back to the Father just as a servant. And what does the Father do? He runs to Him. At full speed, He wraps His arms around Him. He throws this robe around Him. He puts the signet, the seal of His own family on His finger. My son is alive! He was dead in His back. Jesus does something a lot more dramatic with Thomas. 
But take heart, Christian, for even though many of us have done precisely that, even though we claimed Him as Lord and then life took us away, even though there are times that we chose to see this world's way instead of God's way, God will remind us that He's still there and He's still God. Unless I see the nail marks in His hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand in His side, I will not believe. A week later, His disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then He said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting. And what? Believe. Stop doubting. And believe. No matter what this world heaps upon you. If you have trusted in Him as your Savior and Lord. Your Father will make His presence known. Thomas said to him, My Lord, and what? My God. He got it. Through the eyes of doubt, past the wall of stone he had built around his own heart, Jesus came, presented himself before this man who was his student, a man who only a week beforehand had said, If Jesus is going to his death, let us die with him. The person whose heart had been hardened was now melted as he saw his Savior standing there realizing what had been done, realizing the price that had been paid for his own soul, realizing the fact that his rabbi had not given up on him and that his Savior hadn't given up on him. Reaching out the nail-scarred hands, he says, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me and you have believed, blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. This is the last, chronologically, this is the last beatitude in the Gospels. Underline or highlight this in your copy of God's Word because this is a promise to you. Because you have seen me and you have believed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Because it's been 2,000 years, that's everybody who's sitting in this room who's called upon the name of the Lord. Know that you are not only in the Lamb's book of life, but you are considered blessed by God. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. The gospel is a very simple message. And it's very simple because if it were any more complicated, we'd mess it up. But it has three elements. First of all, there are none righteous, no, not one. So a sacrifice had to be paid. A sacrifice that would satisfy the wrath of God and that would enable you 
to not only become a follower of his, but a child of his. Just as you had, just as creation had been forged from the beginning with the intention of you being an heir to the throne of heaven. Do you understand that's who you are before God? You are not just a name, you are not just a number, you are not just a cog in a machine, but you are a prince or princess of the very universe itself. Do you know that? That's how much God cares about you. And so deep in our sins were we that we had a debt that we could not possibly pay on our own. So to remedy the curse, to remedy his own wrath, God paid the price that we could not. In human flesh, God came from heaven, lived among us, lived a perfect life in reflection of a law that none of us could live up to. And when the time came, after he was seen to be perfect before God, after he was presented before his people, he became a sacrifice for you and for me, for all of us. His death, his burial, and what was the last evidence that he was the Messiah? His resurrection. He has died and we have died to sin. He was buried, and that old life is put away. He was given new life, and so have we. And if you but put your faith in him, if you but call upon his name, if you but accept that sacrifice, pour it out for you, everlasting life is yours. A life of abundance right now is yours. A person, a life filled with celebration, with peace, with hope is yours. My brothers and sisters, today is the day when we celebrate the certain knowledge that we have nothing to fear. And through Him, we have everything to gain. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And say it with me, Christ will come again. If you do not have that certainty in your heart this morning, if you do not have that peace of mind that passes all understanding, if you have a doubt you're struggling with, if you have a conviction on your heart that you cannot ignore, if you have a weight of a burden that is pressing on you that seeks to strangle out your joy, if you have never known the peace that comes from being a child of God, as we pass now from the service of the word into the time of invitation, whatever the need is on any heart, no matter what it is, as the musicians come forward and as the congregation sings, come down the aisle. Come here to the altar and claim the peace that is yours for the taking, the price that was paid for you.
Come now. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for what this day represents. We thank you for the certainty of everlasting life, and we thank you for being a God that delights in making and keeping promises to your children. So as now we enter the invitation, Lord, trouble the hearts of those who, who are in danger. As we lift our burdens to you, draw forth whoever you will and let them receive the warmth of your embrace and the certainty that is everlasting life. Lord, please, make today the day of someone's salvation. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us at High Lawn Baptist Church. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. At High Lawn, we believe that when you love God, you share his word. When you love others, you spread the gospel. We would love for you to join us next time, and if possible, to join us in person, to contact or learn more about us, to donate to our ongoing ministry, or most importantly, to learn about the salvation offered to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Visit us at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Once again, thank you, and God bless you.